Hi, this is Frank Menzer. Whether you play Moldvay or My Edition or any other basic D&D, tune in next for Save or Die Basic D&D. Stuff I could have cut into the end of the show. Well, I can, I can send you my recording if you want to try and grab something from it. We'll screw up more for the for the. <laughs> We're bound to have something talk. else. I'm I'm with the yes. We'll screw up more. Yes. Well, <laughs> hello, hello, everyone. Episode 107: Save or Die. As usual, it's me, DM Mike. Along with our very own Mad Hermit from Keep on the Borderlands, DM Liz. Woohoo! <laughs> and the hands down best Goodman Games author ever to appear on Save or Die, DM Jim. <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> and special guest, my evil twin, Bad Mike. Mike well, Bottolato. Twins. Twins, but we had different mothers, right? Or was it different fathers? I can't remember. <laughs> Something. Brother from another, another mother. Another mother. That's right. Yep. And I'm just going to tell a- you right now, I am not wearing that grass skirt that the Mad Hermit shows up in in the module. Just forget <laughs> it. I always uh, wondered about that, you know, because the whole idea of the Mad Hermit was supposed to be he seems relatively normal until you, you talk to him. Picture. And then you see that picture of the guy in the hula skirt and the Joker grin. Listen, I don't I'm think not. Otis can draw normal. That's the problem. <laughs> the girl could not draw normal. I'm a visual artist, Liz, so you don't have to wear it now that you've talked about it. You know what I mean? Hey, 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 hey. G-rated show, family show here. Family show. Anyway, this episode, we are returning, finally, to the X series of modules. By popular demand, we are covering X5, Temple of Death. And we'll be talking about that, but first... What did we do at David this week? Who cares? Ow! What have we been doing in gaming? And we'll start with... Jim. Oh, we should start with Bad Mike. I'm sorry. That's me. Okay. Back- no, no, Jim's better. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was backseat lead hosting before I realized it came out of my mouth. Sorry, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's your outer voice. But, uh, hey, after six months, we got the Mutant Crawl Classics campaign back on the tracks. I, I, I didn't realize that it had been yeah. that long. Last Saturday, we got together. I mean, we haven't not gamed for six months. We did a lot of playtesting of pre-publication stuff for Goodman and, and for me, but when we finally got the campaign started, we're like, 
It's been six months. So uh, that was a lot of fun. It was uh, I posted some of it on Facebook, but uh, the uh, they had just come back from us playing uh, DCC Bunnies and Burrows because they had their minds projected back before the great disaster in time to retrieve the formula for Cortex cortexin, this substance that gives intelligence to animals, by a kindly chimpanzee doctor that when they succeeded in their mission and came back, he was now a kindly sentient rabbit doctor, scientist guy. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> it all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we changed history just a tiny little bit here. It was, uh, it was all kinds of weird synchronicity because uh, I have the final version of the rules and we had to change the characters because some of them got classes and some of them got new abilities. So we just rewrote everybody's characters to the new rules and that was their altered timeline version of themselves. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and I just... This new thing that I, where I'm rolling my dice out in front of the screen, I can't believe I, for 30 plus years I did it behind the screen because I cannot believe the impact it has on gameplay where everybody's leaning over to look to see whether the monster saves or hits or something. <laughs> and, and it removes any doubt that I'm going to fudge anything. And the amount of drama it pumps into the adventure is fantastic. Um, we... Uh, got a new player, one of our old DCC players who was mainly a Pathfinder guy wandered up and we were having such a good time because immediately of course now there are evil bunnies in the game, they uh, had to fight some and uh, this old player of ours named Pete wandered up in the middle of that battle and we were having such a good time he wa- he wanted to come back after like a year and a half, he's like can I play? And I'm like sure, see that see see that bunny that's all the way in the back not engaging in battle, that's because he's the leader and he's extra smart so you here here you go and we did a thing that they uh, talk about on Google+. I don't know if this would work in basic D&D, but here's the, here's the conceit. For games of convenience where something like that happens, you don't roll the characters up until you start playing. And as you play, each time you need an ability or a stat, you just roll it on the fly. So you can jump straight from a standing start into the game. So we did that with Pete and this character, and it was fantastic. He's like, well, how smart am I? I'm like, roll 3d6. You tell me. <laughs> Although I got a three. Kind of, yeah, I was going to say, it does kind of, um, you know, mess things up a little when you've told the person, your character is really smart, and then you roll really low. It's like, okay, your character has just somehow convinced everyone that they're really smart. That's what I mean by the game gods were looking after us, because he rolled 3d6 straight, 17. Boom, right in front of us. Ooh. Well, that's cool. So anyway. And convenient. Big, big, big times in the post-apocalypse. Cool. All right. Mike? Well, I will have to admit that I have not been gaming lately because of con preparation. And um, that has really been my focus for the past few weekends. Um, That's kind of... You're doing something in gaming. (laughs) You're not actually gaming, but... You're prepping for B1. Yeah. It's not... Well, I mean, yeah... if I have not prepped for B1 by now, I need to turn in my DM badge. <laughs> probably run that you know, 50 times over the past 40 years, so 35 <laughs> years. But but that, that did remind me, I do need to do a little work on my B1 prep, uh, get some of the character sheets ready, and um, uh, actually look it over a little bit. Um, but, yeah, other than that, just uh, just con prep. Unfortunately, I've, I've really missed playing, and I haven't had a chance to. One of the problems is when you, when you run a con, you run into the problems that, that you're running games and you're um, talking to people and you're not playing the games. So the whole point of having a con, you think, is that, hey, I've got my own con. This is great. You know, we can do this, this, and that. No, you really can't. 
um, you're kind of you know stuck behind the behind the counter watching everybody else have fun. So uh, right, but it's, it's fun in its own way too. But. That's just like the old "I'll work in the game industry and then my job will be gaming all the time," and then you get. Oh, the- I know. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a joke? And people, yeah, they get, nobody's sadder than a game store owner. <laughs> They're always depressed, yes, because they're all gaming all around them, yet they're paying the bills. Ah, uh, well, still, well, we look forward to you giving us more details in a little bit about the con that no one can attend. <laughs> well, that's not quite accurate, but we'll talk about that later. We're, we're all full up now. No yes. con for you. I guess Liz is nothing, <laughs> gaming-wise. Ah, but hopefully, by by the time we get together again for the next episode after this one, my self-imposed exile from gaming should be over, because I will finally have my degree done with all of my projects, and I will have the time to be able to come back to the game. So, it's almost over. Well, almost over. It's not like you're missing a whole lot, because... <laughs> Sorry, thing, Chase. Well, I mean, Chase you're started this... You're not missing much. <laughs> well, Chase started this new campaign, and then people have been dropping in and out. And, uh, you know, we haven't gotten a whole lot done, and... You know, and you guys are just lost without me. We are, we are. You're, you're, you're the glue that holds our party together. Even oh, Mead sure. is just getting That's thrown sad. at her. Her, her gnome is getting picked up and thrown by my character at at enemy archers, and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And she asked you to do it. Insisted I do it. That makes sense because you're the glue that holds this podcast together too. Oh dear! Don't give her that power. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much the gaming. I, I keep, I keep wanting. Maybe once you're, you've got your degree and that we've got more free time, we can return to Teeman's BFRPG game, or with Kyle and Randall, maybe I can finally get my classic D and D game started up again. Okay. One of these eons. Speaking of wanting to be able to do more gaming, Bad Mike, <laughs> how often would you be willing to drive up to Denton to be part of a basic game? <laughs> I, I would think about it because, uh, you know, I, my group's kind of scattered for the last year or so. We've, we've only met very sporadically to where it's, it's basically a, sh- a series of one-shots now. We don't really have a campaign going, so I don't well, be able to talk me into that. Well, it wouldn't be more than two... Twice a month, I, I every single week with Chase's game, you know, I do my best, but it's kind of wearing. I'm like, not every single weekend, but anyway. So <laughs> we got um, so, we got old somewhere on the lines because I, I mean, when, when I was 19, it was like all weekend long, conk out on the couch for four hours, pop back up at yeah. eight in the morning, and still go right back at it. Well, Not even sleep Saturday night at a con. Just game right on through to Sunday, and uh, yeah. Now we're old. We've got a house. You know, we're thinking. You know, I could really use a Saturday one week to do some yard work. You know, that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> it's like, why am I thinking about doing yard work instead of gaming? No, <laughs> gaming you, is a lot you, more fun than yard work. <laughs> you really know you're old when. You have to decide between going grocery shopping or gaming. That's what you need. <laughs> wow. That's what Amazon's for. <laughs> have them deliver. 
I'm still trying to convince Liz for us to get on that, but anyway. All right, well, are there any emails this episode, Liz? Get down, get down, get down, get down. The Save or Die email hot tub time machine. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week, I hope that it's from a female. Oh, man. The following emails have been edited for length and content. We do indeed have emails. So we will do our best. I mean, we're still behind, but... You know, we're only a couple of months behind as opposed to a billion months behind. So, you know, talking we're, about, we're, you know, at Halloween, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know. We're, we're, we're doing okay. Um, hopefully, we can get a little bit more caught up. But yes, we have do we, have emails. Have, have we at least gotten through the emails that say, I look forward to seeing Jim at GaryCon? <laughs> um, pre- I'm pretty sure we are done with those. Um, I think most of our emails, um, most of our emails are from February, actually. And um, by the time we finish, by the time we finish the emails, we are about at the end of the month. So they mean next year's. Yeah. 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 That's it. Anyway. So yeah, um, like I said, we're a couple of months behind, but we're 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 getting there. Anyway, speaking of Teeman, our first email is from Teeman. Teeman! He says, Dear Save or Die, finally got around to listening to the Save versus Skills episode. <laughs> As we talked via email, Mike, the leaded skeletons came from the Basic Fantasy RPG Field Guide. It's their version of the Monster Manual. I know you had one in the ADIN Guide a number of years ago. 2003. <laughs> on to skills. What a great discussion. You could have written that down and put it in a book on game design. Aww. I enjoy hearing about the secondary skill system from 1E and the D20 versus the D6 attribute checks as another way to resolve things. I have considered just letting everyone take a background, like in 5E, although I think it is in the 1E DMG as well. <gasps> no skills or numbers attached to it. When a non-combat situation occurs where it might help, you can then adjust the numbers of the D6s to roll, give a flat bonus to a D20 roll, um, maybe minus four to the roll, or even an advantage roll. It's DM preference, fiat even. That gives characters some flavor without dragging in a lot of rules crunch. And please don't forget about Chris over at BFRPG. I'd love to hear that episode soon if you can. Ever steeping, Teeman. Thanks, Teeman. Um, yeah, we'll be having Chris Gonerman on relatively soon, if not epi- next episode, the episode afterwards. So, Sweet. talking BFRPG. Um, yeah, I like I've said before, the idea of rolling D6s for attribute checks instead of D20. A D20 has really, I, I really kind of, that's grown on me. I really like it. Glad you find it of use. That DM fiat thing, I've recently learned how to turn back on my players because you know how players will always say something they, ridiculous that they want to do where they're kind of testing you to see if you'll mm-hmm. let them get away with it. And I just turn it 
180 degrees and go, well, maybe you can do that. Maybe you can't. Convince me you can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and give them the chance, you know, because they could talk me into it. If you it, can plausibly describe this. I'll yeah. give you a roll. And that's something I really think is it was big and back in the day. I mean, God knows in the 70s and 80s, you know, that was half the game was as a player trying to convince the DM, you know, uh, this is plausible. I could do this. My favorite was a player that, that tried to convince me because he took archery classes that he could run to the hill giant chamber, uh, roll, and come up with his arrow in his hand and fire an arrow without an arrows falling out of his quiver. We talked about it, and um, I made all the arrows fall out of his quiver. He didn't convince me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was that uh there was that TV show a while back, Reno 911. They've got a video of it on YouTube where they're apparently arresting this guy who is dressed in garb and he was talking about how they were in a D&D game and the reason somebody was shot with an arrow is he was proving that there's no way he could dump, jump out of the way from a trap with an arrow. And so he really shot the guy. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it's like, see, see. See? <laughs> I told you, you couldn't do this. <laughs> Don't try this at home, kids. That's right. Okay, next email. Our next email is from Trevor. Hey, Trevor. And Trevor writes... I have a magic item I invented for your consideration. I'm wondering if I made it too powerful. I have a party of first-level characters exploring the unknown, B1. There you go. Oh, yeah. I came up with an enchanted hammer. I call it the Hammer of Rapid Precision. It has four gems located around the handle with a larger fifth gem on the bottom of the hilt. When a successful hit is made... With the hammer, a gem glows. If a miss is rolled, all gems go dark. If four strikes in a row are successful, all gems glow, and the next turn, the character gets to make four attacks. If every four of the quick strikes hit, the bottom gem glows, and the next hit causes triple damage. Well, why would it even be a question if that's too powerful? <laughs> It does damage with no bonus to hit or damage. I, was, I also wonder if you have any suggestions for a better name for it. What do you think, Trev? Well, I will say most first-level characters, it's really hard for them to make <laughs> successful hits on it because their D20 thacos are dreadful. Um, so That's what I, I was thinking. I think it's very unlikely possible but unlikely that a first level character is going to make four successful strikes in a row to get to the triple damage bit um so that that does kind of help for low level characters um a higher level character would be much more likely to be able to get that yeah unfortunately the unintended consequences of that item are that high levels that would be just absolutely killer magic item oh my gosh yes well, I want to address the naming thing. Okay. Here's, here's old school naming your magic items 101, Trevor. First thing you do, you turn your name backwards. So it's now Rovert's Hammer of Escalating Strikes. Right? Uh-huh. Trevor there Rovert. You yeah. There uh, you go. The sure. second go-to is uh, alliteration. Uh, give it a name like Spike Striker. Something that 
rhymes and alliterates nicely. Or you can metagame it. You could okay, it's something that, that the players are going to use to get hammered. Uh, just call it Bacardi One Fifty One. The Holy Hammer of Havoc. Oh, that's good too. See, yeah. alliteration. Yeah, alliteration. Give it the old Stanley. I did like the like <laughs> old Rovert thing. That that's a pretty good character name right there. So. Or you could put Hori Hammer of Havoc. Yeah, that that's very Stanley there. But. Mm. <laughs> I love yeah. you, man. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's all right. I, I probably wouldn't use the triple damage super strike, but the rest of it I think is fine. My only objection with that that's kind of a lot of bookkeeping for a low level magic item. You you kind of want your low level magic items to be this does this or this does that. Yeah, uh, and that'd be a pain unless whoever's got the hammer is a player you really trust to keep up with that stuff on his or her own. Otherwise, yeah, you, you, then you've got to double check because otherwise. Wait a second, so, you just got a special. Yeah, because I, I hit four times in a row. Wait, no, wait. It was, you just did four times in a row. No, I just did it again. You just didn't notice. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you got to. Especially in your, like in a battle with 20 kobolds, you know. It, uh, well, there's always the old, you know, your low level character now has this artifact, but everybody else knows it, and now they're gunning for you. Wee! <laughs> there is that. I've got this hammer. Yeah, and all the enemies you're facing have bows and are up on a hill. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> okay, well, hope that helps. All right. Our next email is from Kevin Searle. And Kevin, hey, Kevin. writes, Hello, savies. <laughs> <laughs> In light of episode 105, Gazapalooza 2... Uh-oh. I was wondering if there were any releases in the Gazetteer series that you do like. <laughs> Either in simple inspiration to run a campaign with bits and pieces lifted from it, or whole hog. No need to go into too much detail if you're saving a review for a later episode. Kevin. Yes, I want to concur with Kevin there. <laughs> I was also thinking the same thing. Well, <laughs> do you like any of these Gazetteers? Seriously. <laughs> To an extent, uh, actually, there is one for me. But before I, I, I say that, I want to say it's really we can't win. We don't cover the gazetteers, and we get pelted with emails. Cover the gazetteers. Cover the gazetteers. We want to know what you think of the gazetteers. And then when we start covering the gazetteers, you suck. We don't like what you think of the gazetteers. I mean, how could you not like this gazetteer? It's my favorite. Yeah. It's well, I have an open mind because, like we were discussing in pre-show, uh, this is the uh, era where I wasn't buying these things because we were off creating our own stuff. So I'm reading them one at a time as we cover them on the show. I mean, I haven't read any of them before. So I, you know, I, the next one's about a continent of magic users. I that's I'll probably like that. I don't know. <laughs> the only ones I've read were the Orcs of Thar and Shadow Elves. Whatever that one was. Um, There's a whole one about orcs? Because that's hard to screw up. Well, it, it's mostly about orcs, but it, it one of the things I really like about it is is it gives some rules for playing humanoids as player characters. As, you know, races, class thing going on. And I like that. Um, but, yeah, a lot of them I've either never read. I mean... To me, it's not Mistara or Gazetteers. To me, it's the known world from 
the expert rule set. That's what I know, you know. And you're right. By the time the gazetteers were coming out, I was like, no, I got my own campaign world now. Oh, wait, rules for playing monsters? Well, maybe, you know. We didn't have Liz on that show for balance, and um, I I do my best when we're discussing these things and reviewing them to parse between my personal playstyle taste and game mechanics because you can discuss and debate game mechanics. You cannot discuss and debate playstyle preference. Right. You you know you you prefer what you prefer. I'm not going to talk yet in or two. There's or no out right or wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would, however, like to remind everyone that I gave Emirates a three point five out. Of- out of five dragons, which is a good grade. <laughs> so Cert- certain people just drove it down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, I-, I wasn't even in Gaz Two, and she I heard. Did, yeah, it was like so. I'm not sure how the overall vote would have been if I'd been on there. Um, I didn't have time to do the show because of all of my schoolwork, and so you know, I haven't even read the second gazetteer myself so i can't even tell you what my opinion of it would have been if i'd been on there but i'll try and get back to it at some point and you know maybe address retroactively it's like well if i had been on gazapalooza 2 this is probably what i would have said (laughs) of course you would have had to record the show in your belly dancer outfit no i don't think i would have (laughs) i'll do that next time for theme Uh, yeah yeah yeah, I'm, Trust me, I'm wearing a belly dancer outfit. <laughs> right. Can't you tell over the podcast? <laughs> Remember that radio station from Dallas a while back, The Bone, 93.3? Oh, yeah. They and did that Christmas lingerie had, show. It supposedly had all On these the radio. Yeah. On the radio, yeah. And they're all yeah. talking about the lingerie they're supposedly wearing. It's like, yeah, sure, sure you sure are. You are. <laughs> That's yeah, this the, one's really hot. This one looks really hot. I mean, I wish you could see it. It looks really hot. I mean, wow. That's the great thing about podcasting, because I'm of the opinion, pants are overrated. <laughs> <laughs> right with you. Right there with you, Jim. <sighs> Next email. Next email. Stay away from underwear. That's right. DM Skinner. Ooh, and Skinner. He, he writes, greetings, Sodders. I'm not sure which is better, solders or savies. I I think savies, but you know, I still like classicist from last episode. (laughs) That was cool. Anyway, I discovered your show several months ago, and I've been enjoying it thoroughly. I wanted to ask about a couple of things. Why do you hate gazetteers? Why do you hate gazetteers? (laughs) 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 Oh, he says I'm a teacher. And I run a board game club at my school. Oh, sweet. This year, D&D has taken over as the game students want to play. (laughs) And I have nearly a dozen players who get lost in dungeons and sometimes die hilariously twice a week at lunchtime. (laughs) Do you have any advice for running short sessions and or large groups of players? I found it helps a lot to use a designated caller to keep the action going, and I simply go around the table during combat instead of rolling initiative. I'd be interested in any other ideas to help my kids get more done in our 40-minute sessions, though. Thanks for doing such a great job on your show, and keep up the great work. DM Skinner. What a good question. Yeah, that's... Ooh. 
That's well, a, well, first of all, let, let, let me say that when I was in high school, I think we had a dozen people in the entire school that played. That's amazing <laughs> now that he can uh, he can get a dozen kids that want to play. That yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I don't think there were even that many in my high school, or that I knew of anyway. Well, sometimes you have some pretty large groups in your B1 games at the con, Bad Mike. Um, well, at the con, yes. Well, uh, yeah, I'll, but I'll I mean... So, you know, what are some of the things that you found yourself doing to keep action going and, you know, like, make like sure to, things get done? <laughs> well, um... You just say, shut up, Glenn. We're playing. <laughs> <laughs> Your dog's dead, Glenn. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I kept now, that well, One of the things alive. I like to do is break, break things up into so-called modules. Basically... Uh, encounter A, encounter B, encounter C. Don't I wouldn't let the kids do a lot of wandering. Uh, they're going to lose attention easily. Uh, I would I would have a pretty much a constant stream of whatever you run. I'd have a constant stream of many, you know many encounters where A leads to B, leads to C, leads to D. That's probably the easiest way to do it if you're going to have that kind of a format. That's good stuff, man. Yeah, yeah I I do remember. Um, it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to play with Tim Cask in a convention. That too. Yeah, but um, Mike and I played in one of his games in, it was either the the first North Texas Con or the second one. I think it was the first one. But we were in a convention game. He was running it. And quite frankly, if the players took too long deciding what to do next, he made the decision for us. He said, okay, you're going this way. And <laughs> I loved him. We just barreled on. You know, you know, it's like he was not about to let us spend 20 minutes arguing amongst ourselves about what way we should go next or what needed to be done. It's like if we took too long, you know, he just decided for us, okay, this is where you're going. And I don't know how well that would work with a bunch of kids, but, you know, if it does look like things are getting bogged down with indecision, you know, something you might be able to do is you know, you know, let them know, okay, figure something out in the next 10 seconds or, you know, I'm rolling a die and this is where you're going next. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to be quite that overbearing about it, you could also just ostentatiously roll for mo wandering monsters behind your screen. Or another <laughs> trick I've used is I'll just roll dice and they'll go, what? What was that for? And I'll look up Gran and go, oh, nothing. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like everybody. Tried, tried and true. That's tried and true, the dice rolling behind the screen. Yeah. And then look, act like you're looking at a chart. Like that it. usually gets, gets things rolling. I and like then uh, arbitrarily, you know, just out of nowhere, what's your strength? What's your armor <laughs> class? Okay, good. No, nothing. Go ahead. <laughs> I like what all everybody said, but I really like what uh, Mike, sh uh, Bad Mike, shared because, um, in a sense, uh, to talk about Taco for just a second, that's the whole uh, thesis of uh, DCC. Is DCC's been specifically the adventures have been written for our generation of players who have soccer games to drive the kids to and stuff, and you need to get in and get out and have a quick, discreet four-hour adventure. So the 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 adventures themselves are written as a series of. Um, creative 
but A, B, C encounters, as opposed to say what we're reviewing today, X5, which uh, you know a group could take uh, weeks, if not a couple of months, to go all the way through that module and explore it all. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, assuming they didn't just based versus event versus event based. And yeah, you're, you're right. That and it's funny because you said that because I was thinking of DCC module when I said that. Because if you read them, that's exa- very, they're very much event based. Uh, yeah, I, I just finished reading my Purple Planet, and I was thought that was really. Um, that was a big. There, there was it was location, but every location had event-based uh, uh, streaming. So, I, so I'm not saying run DCC, uh, right, DM Skinner. Right. I'm just saying construct your D and D adventure the same way. He's not and saying I, I don't really do that for, ter- for tournaments or, or limited time because I, mean, I I don't usually run my regular games like that. I mean, if people want to sit there for an hour and wander around. That you know, that's 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 their time they're wasting. But for tournament games, and especially for that this gentleman describes. Uh, Forty minutes. Yeah, yeah. You you have a limited amount of time. You need to get down to business. I, I'll, yeah. I'll I'll tell a story on myself. I actually struggle with this in my campaign because I tend to write adventures the other way, and the campaign has taken longer to gel than I would have preferred because they don't sit around and and good enough. Mm. And I've been they working just... on that to try and encourage the role playing in a campaign setting. Free arc. Yep. <laughs> Oh yeah, You'll okay. have to edit that out. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll briarch it. Sorry. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, there's that energy drink kicking helpful. in. <laughs> hope this was helpful. And kudos to you for bringing up the next generation of RPGers. That's right. I, I wish I had a school like yours to go to back when I was first getting into gaming. Oh Lord, yes. No kidding. Oh, yeah. it's been wonderful. <laughs> A teacher be, who games? That would be so awesome. Instead of nineteen seventy eight it was on we had to keep it on the down low big time. Uh-huh. Otherwise you're you're gonna you're 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 devil worshipping and, and going to hell. I grew up so far in the woods in Kentucky we didn't have D and D at our high school in the seventy eight. All right. Six, well sticks and rocks or Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it it was Frankfort, Kentucky, cow tip and stuff like that. Uh, oh yeah. And, and cave master. Yeah. all right any other emails okay well we have another one from james v west and he writes sod masters that's we've been we've been addressed i don't know how i feel about that one we've been addressed differently in just about every single email here yeah but yeah so yeah savies sodders sod masters i am the sod master I think I anyway. saw that movie in 84. Was, mm. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Just finished the Gazapalooza episode. <laughs> Great show as usual. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Despite Liz being taken out early by a giant centipede. <laughs> and story of my life, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, says, I have never looked at Gaz number two. I do like the cover, though. All the Gaz covers are awesome. Even with the high heels. <laughs> it is on my bucket list to collect all of them in print, but for now I'll have to settle for PDFs. I did recently pick up Top Ballista, and man, I love that book. I hope you guys find it in your heart of hearts to review the whole Creature Crucible series, because there's some really good stuff in there. I mean, Gremlin PCs! Come on! <laughs> One Thanks. day! Thanks for the kind shout-out and link to my webpage, which needs some serious updating. J.V. West. Ah, thanks, J.V. Thanks. Yeah. 
Well, well, like I said, whenever we get through the Gazetteers and the X series, <laughs> we'll we'll hit the Crucibles next. Should we be calling the X series the X Files? No. Oh. Ouch. Aw. 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 <laughs> I, I think we should. <laughs> Any more emails? Uh, well, one more. We do have one more. This one comes to us from Harley Stroh. Oh, dear. Speaking of, speaking of people who write for Goodman Games. Yes, oh and he, he has a little something to say to Jim. <laughs> Harley oh, yeah. writes, Per the latest save or die, White Rock is not 700 pages of setting. It has setting material. But the bulk of the box set is the world's largest mega dungeon. White Rock, a la Greyhawk, blah, blah, blah. Smiley face. Harley Stroh. <laughs> Damn you, Harley Stroh, for making me Mia Culpa my own Mia Culpa. Ah! <laughs> Harley's entirely correct. I, I, you know, to make the point that I had gone to a convention and spent a bunch of money on a campaign setting, I over-dramatized, you know, a little dramatic license. White Rock <laughs> yeah. Castle is like book after book of, you know, 14 or 18 levels of dungeon in the keep above it and the campaign setting around it. So, you know, I could argue that even that is a still a campaign setting, but Harley's right. <laughs> so, my bad. How much of the 700 pages would you say is campaign setting, then? Uh, one book out of seven, or something like that. Okay. When, you, when you open up that big box, there's a whole bunch of little trade paperback books. Ah, okay. The Gazetteer is just one of those books, and the rest is like White Rock Castle Dungeons level 12 through 14. That kind of thing. Gotcha. It's beautiful. Anybody gets a chance to pick one of those up for under 100, they should go grab it. Just to steal stuff out of it. Yeah, it's getting hard to find now, as a matter of fact. Yeah. All righty. Well, if people want to write in to the show, where would they send their emails telling us about how wrong we are about Gazapalooza? Well, unless your name is Harley Stroh, you should email us <laughs> yeah. at, at uh, saverdiepodcast at gmail.com. Or call our voice line at 940-536-3763. And now, before we uh, hit X the X5 module, do we, let's have Mike talk about the upcoming North Texas RPG Con. Yeah! All right, well, let's talk about the con that nobody can go to because we're full. Okay, later on. <laughs> Unless... Somebody dies. Well, let me. Well, first of all, let me explain the situation here. Um, we all move up and rank. As you know, we. Run <laughs> <a convention>. I'm <laughs> sorry. Sorry. And North Texas RPG Con, where we focus on old school games. Although we do have the occasional Pathfinder, we actually have a lot of fifth edition games this year. Oddly enough, um, we, we do have Wolfgang Barr and Steve Winter here, so we thought we'd do some fifth edition stuff since they wrote the first fifth edition adventures, but. We mostly concentrate on old school games, pre-2000, and we decided a long time ago that uh, we don't want to be a big con. We probably want to keep the numbers, you know, reasonable so we can handle it without having to hire a lot of people and, you know, have to, you know, we don't want people, you know, play magic games and do things that, that we didn't personally like just to get the attendance up, because a lot of conventions will do that. They They want to get their attendance up, so they'll say, sure, you know, you can do this or that because we, you know, we just want people in the door. Well, we don't want that. We just want people there that want an old-school game. 
as a result of this, last year we had 250 people. We thought we'd cap it at 300 this year. Little did we know that we would hit that cap last month. <laughs> uh, a full two months before the convention is actually going to go on, and there's a lot of reasons for this, um, having to do with just the, the added popularity of gaming conventions right now. If you look at most gaming conventions, especially the big ones like Gen Con, I think Gen Con had, what, 56,000 last year. And I know the last time I, w- I went, it had 29,000, and that, w- that wasn't even a decade ago. Um, and then Gary Con also had, I think they had 900 this year, Jim, right? Yeah, it jumped, yeah. it popped by like 200 over last year. So we really weren't, weren't necessarily prepared for that big a jump. And so we had already capped at 300, so we decided we would take 300 people in pre-regs and then allow walk-ins as, you know, as, as we could. But even then, we probably only have, have enough room for 350, at the pushing it probably 400. Uh, we didn't know we hit our, we would hit our, um, our pre-reg limit, um, you know, uh, 50 days before the convention. Uh, which is good and bad. It's good because it means a lot of people are interested in old school gaming, yeah. And it's bad because we feel bad that we can't really offer a bigger convention. But uh, that's really just one of the things we decided when we first started out is we we're going to have a more intimate gaming experience. We don't want a big cattle call with rooms full of people and you're crammed up. Everybody's had that experience when you're in a room and you're jammed up next to the guy behind you and. There's a guy at one table over that's screaming at the top of his lungs, and you know, blah blah blah. You know, uh, we 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 have our a lot of spacing on the table. We could we could cram a whole lot more tables in there and cram more people in there, but we just didn't want to do it. So, so really, it's kind of funny. I'm sitting here doing a promo for a convention that that if you come to, we can't guarantee you'll actually be inside. Um, but we would do. We would encourage you to do walk-ups. The reason being is because uh, last year I know we had uh, 10% no-shows, so we had you know, 25, 30 spots open up. And um, if we have the same this year, we will have, we should be able to take another 50 people or so. So uh, definitely if you're going to be in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area first weekend in June, uh, actually Doug always wants me to say the first Thursday in June because it's not always the first weekend. First Thursday in June. Um, we're going to have an uh, uh, old-school convention. So come on by. If nothing else, you can walk around uh, we have a ridiculous uh, lineup of special guests. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I, the only convention that comes close to our special guest list is probably Gary Khan, uh, in terms of uh, old school people and uh, classic uh, game uh, names you've heard in the um, past. I'm going to run through them real quick. That's true, but I'm, uh, I'm going to point out as a percentage of attendees, North Texas Con. I mean, it's like a third of the attendees at the convention are used to work at TSR. Yeah, it's, it's actually really ridiculous because um, <laughs> because I, I mean I, I give Doug a hard time about that all the time because as many people as we have, we actually have people who don't who he calls that we don't come. For instance, uh, he tried to get Douglas Niles this year and he just couldn't make it. So yeah, we, it's it's already it's already a ridiculous number of uh, people. Um, so tell us who your secret talking. guest is this year. Can't tell the secret guest. <laughs> oh, although man. I did, I did tell. I, although it's not that hard to find out your secret, the secret guest. You just have to do a little checking on the website. I will say that we're not allowed to say who the secret guests are because um, we cannot afford to to pay them for the publicity. So that should give you a little hmm. Um, but they are not. These special guests were nice enough to show up anyway. If it's Felicia Day, I will love you for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Actually, it's no, Gary Gygax. Sweet today, I'm putting her in a box and taking her home, so you won't even see her. So. 
But we're, we're going to, uh, this year we have, um, that are going to show up, we have Wolfgang Barr, um, Bob Bledsoe Jr., uh, Steve mm-hmm. Chenault, Chris Clark, uh, Zeb Cook, Liz Danforth, uh, Darlene, <laughs> Jeff D., Larry Elmore, Matt Finch, Joe Goodman, um, Jeff Grubb, Ernie Gygax, Alan Hammock. Oh, I don't think I was supposed to mention his name, but I did anyway. Oh, well, Alan Hammock. Just uh, edit Kevin that out. Yeah, well, he's... He, he he was kind of a secret, but he's not really a secret because he's actually running games with his name there. So you'll figure out how it's there. Kevin Hendricks, John Jaquays, Tim Cass, Doug Kovics, uh, Dave LaForce, Steve Marsh, Frank Menser, Errol Otis. I'm getting tired now. <laughs> Steve Perrin, Merle Rasmussen, Lawrence Schick, uh, Dennis Astaire, uh, Jeff Talanian, Jim Ward, Bill Webb, uh, Steve Winter. Oh, I'm worn out. <laughs> uh, and we actually have a few more people, and I will tell you, I just noticed the name on the guest list that I did not know was coming. There we have two secret guests that I knew of, and I just saw a name. I'm fixing to call Doug after the show because I did not know this person showing up. But if they're showing up, I'm at, uh, that's one of my, he's, one, he's on my A-list, and I'm pretty shocked. Look at this mm. name here. I'm going to have to call Doug and make sure this isn't a mistake. Well, I'm just stoked that Darlene is coming back for a second year in a row, because she was was just so cool to have last year. She was just absolute sweetheart. She was so wonderful there. I mean, I, I, you know, she's just really, just really pleasant. I mean, not, I can't think of her guests that aren't really pleasant, but I mean, she was just over the top incredible. And everybody, they know who she is. I mean, you can just see the way the other TSR alums treat her. That she was, a, you know, a very special person. They and they, the way they treat her is just amazing. They all, I mean, she don't think she has an enemy. Well, I just okay. want to say, last year I got to play in a session of the um, Jasmine, uh, card the game. Jasmine card game that um, that she ran herself. And if anyone does have an opportunity to get into one of the Jasmine card game sessions this year. You definitely should. <laughs> without it's ever seeing a such picture, a fun game. without ever seeing a picture of you, Liz, at twelve years old, I still know what you look like because that's the look <laughs> you had on your face when you were playing that game with Darlene. I just want to say that one of the differences between GaryCon and North Texas Con, GaryCon has many of the same uh, alumni and special guests that you just talked about, Bad Mike, but they're there to run games. At what happens that's different at North Texas Con is you'll roll up and sit down to play at a game, and Errol Otis is playing with you as another player. That kind of stuff that, that, happens at good, North that's Texas. That's a good point, Jim. Actually, I know Liz is going to kill me. Actually, Liz probably has already has my demise Yes. Plan. But uh, she did not get into my B1, annual B1 game this year. You are uh, She on has my the last list. four years. And Glenn, Glenn has got in there for the last five years. She's done it for the last four. She missed. And the day before the convention, I get an email from Mr. Errol Otis. Uh, which is a, blows my mind right there. I mean, here I am, you know, fifty whatever years old, talking to Errol Otis, my one of my you know my absolute artist hero of all time, and he just sent me an email like, "Hey, Mike, what's up?" I'm like, "Oh, squeeze." So he said, "Hey, uh, get the room in your B1 game for me. I, I thought I might want to want to hang out and uh, sit in there." And I'm like, um, "We might be able to squeeze you in." <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, yeah. So, You'll let Errol get into I your game. I see how you. Uh... <laughs> Well, I told Liz that I, I'm sorry, but I think a trade of her for Errol is a good straight-up trade. Yeah, and I said, I don't blame you. I'd probably trade me for Errol Otis, too. So. <laughs> I wouldn't. 
<laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that because you're kind of stuck would, with me now. Yeah. What Jim said is true, though. That, that we, 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 want to, we tell the guests when they come to the convention that you don't have to run a game. Some don't. A lot of them do. Uh, some of them come to the convention, like I think Janelle went the first couple of years and didn't run anything uh, just because she hadn't run anything in years, but she felt so comfortable at the con that at a certain point she said, okay, I'll, I'll start running some games. And a lot of them do that. They'll, they don't run games at any other cons. I don't think Errol runs games at any other cons. He runs games at our con. And I don't think he runs at any other con, but you know, it's just something he likes to do there. But we don't put any pressure on them. If they want to just come and hang out and just you know, sit at the bar all night and you know, talk to people and you know, have stories, that's, that's great with us. You know, yeah, so. Plus the celebrity game, which answers the question if you ever wondered what Frank Menser and Tim Kask are like together in the same party, which ends oh. with one of them lightning bolting the other usually, but you can go watch, <laughs> you can go spectate the celebrity game and see that happen. Well, this well this year Frank's actually not in the celebrity game for the first time, I think, but I, I'm trying to remember who's in it. I know it's Tim and I think Errol Otis is in it, uh, Steve Perrin, uh, Steve Winter. Oh, gosh, I don't remember the last one in there. But it's, it's fun because uh, Doug does a, he does a really good job with the uh, charity game. We, we, we laugh because we're friends, but we have totally different DM styles because I'm the type of DM that I like to sit down. I, you know, I have all my notes. I have read the module a hundred times. I probably run it, you know, 30 or 40 times. I have everything, you know, in a, in my little boxes. I mean, Liz's seen all my little boxes and cards and, you know, I've got cards I hand out for all the magic items and that. Doug can roll up to a table with, with a pencil and a, and a die and he's ready to roll. And that just drives me insane. <laughs> so he, the security game is always fun because Doug just kind of does a lot of he does a lot of it extemporaneously, and it ends up, it ends up being pretty funny. Okay. Yeah, we, and also, I, I did forget one thing. We, this is the first year. This is our seventh year. We are going to be doing a um, uh, what's called I don't know what the exact name of it is, but we're going to start having special guests every year that are members of the con that have either been every year or they've contributed to the hobby in some ways. And this year we're going to have uh, Bill Barsh and Alan Groh are our two special guests. Uh, they've both been to the convention every year. And uh, Bill Barsh is uh, head of Paysetter Games, which uh, puts out a lot of really good old-school modules. And Alan Groh, um, uh, along with John Hirschberger, runs Black Blade Publishing, who right now they're reprinting all the uh, older Rob Koontz Pied Piper uh, uh, publishing modules. So they're going to be our special guests this year, and every year I think we're going to have a special guest like that, just so either a fan or somebody that comes to, you know, that has made some contributions to the hobby. It's kind of our way of, you know, giving back, and we'll, we'll pay the room and, you know, give them a couple bucks to spend, so. Okay. Well, that's cool. So maybe, Jim, maybe if you're good, Jim, Mike, Liz, someday, your name may be on that. I, I, I think we've been very good. If, <laughs> very, very good. If we, if we say our prayers and make our dark sacrifices at night. Yeah, payola for Plugola, that's how we run. So. Okay. Ah. Give me a couple, I'll throw that out because I, I just rambled on to give you the dates. It's uh, Thursday, June 4th. Um, we actually we actually start Wednesday night. If you want to show up Wednesday night, we have off-grid games all Wednesday night at the Marriott. It's um, Thursday, June 4th through Sunday, June 7th. It's at the Marriott uh, DFW South, right south of DFW Airport. It's really easy to get to if you're in the area or if you fly in. It's just it's, it's like a five-minute uh, bus ride. Or, or a tram ride from, uh, from the airport. And I want to say the day passes are $35 a day. Boy, you know, you think I have that right in front of me. But um, but any day you come, if, if for some reason we are full, there still will be a lot to do. All the special guests' tables are outside the ballroom, actually in the atrium. 
So you would you could just roll up and just you could actually meet every special guest, not to spend a cent. Well, I do want to ask also before we get off of the North Texas um, thing. Um, there's actually two auctions now that happen at the con. It used to just be the one big auction on Saturday, but now there's a special midnight auction. <laughs> there's there's the G-rated one, and then there's the PG-13 slash R one. One thing I always want to do, one thing I love is auctions. And when I went to Gen Con for the first time about 10 years ago, I was just fascinated by the auction. I, you know, I, just, I just love auctions anyway. I mean, I think, and I think the job that Frank and Tim do at the Gen Con auction is just incredible. If you ever get a chance, you've got to watch them. So I thought, well, if we have a convention, we're going to have to have an auction, you know. Because I, I mean, I, and I want to be auctioneer because that's something I always want to do. So we did it, and it's just, it's okay. And we, we auctioned some really rare items. We've, we've got thousands, you know, we sold a, um, some really, really incredible stuff. We sold a, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. We sold some lost Tomoakins. Um, we sold some pretty expensive stuff, a couple thousand dollar bits of But the midnight auctions where I have the most fun because, um, I certain I just thought, you know what, I wouldn't have an auction that's just kind of seat of the pants, just have fun. You know, start everything at a dollar, a buck, and just have everybody just make jokes, you know, kinda kinda make it it's a really, really fun occasion. And so that's what we did it for the first time last year and it was a really big success. And so we're doing it again this year. We we had a special guest, Satan came last year, which is really he did a really great job and uh, we'll have him back in this year. The um, the dress code is pants optional. <laughs> pants optional, yeah. <laughs> But it is kind of blowing. The, the more we talk about it, and, and, the, and the worst instigator is Zach Glazer, who has just been egging <laughs> me on all year to uh, to add certain things. And oh, we need to do this, and we're going to do this. And so he's actually he's actually made tickets to the event, which are hilarious. I've seen them, and I about broke broke a gut laughing. So there will be tick, actual tickets to the midnight auction. But if you have a chance, if you're at the at the convention and you're not doing anything midnight on a Saturday night, unless you're you're old and sleeping or gaming, you probably won't be doing anything. Uh, come okay, so the, let me you know. ask, when you say midnight, does that mean after 11.59 p.m. Friday night? No, that, that, no, that, that's a good question, Liz. Because <laughs> this is because something some that we are, argue about every year when it comes to registration. That midnight, about what midnight on means. April 15th means actually April 15th. Not April fourteenth, eleven fifty nine. No, it will actually be midnight. It will actually be be twelve oh one a.m. Sunday, which is ah. so midnight okay. Saturday. However, however you want to do that. Yes, we had All some right. we had some people that didn't register in time because they got midnight mixed up, which is understandable. So, so did everybody have fun registering this year? By the way, <laughs> hmm? did everybody have fun registering this year? By the way. I'm only running. I'm not playing, so it was easy for oh, me. Oh, okay. okay. Well, you didn't have any problems then. Everybody else had to stay up late. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I tried, but it's like everything was so slow. And, you know, like I've like I've cried about already, I missed getting into your game. And you were telling me it was it was full in less than a minute. It filled it's up like in 47 said, seconds, which is yeah. ridiculous. It's like, wow. You know, <laughs> Oh, I told a lie. One extra generous DM is going to let me roll up into a table that's technically already full. Now, that, that's a, actually something else I want to talk to you do. It's, it's very low-key at the convention. It's, this is not the kind of convention you show up and you've got to, you know, do this, that. You know, you got to sign up on this sheet and this and that. I mean, you have to, you have to wear your badge. That's about all we ask. But it is very, very low-key in terms of if you, you can roll up to a table and say, hey, you, you know, especially people like Frank Mansur or Tim Cass, they... 
we only have we have limits uh, on what we take on pre-regs on tables. Some of these guys would run a table for 20 people. They don't care. And so we usually cut it off at about 8 to 10, but if you go up to a lot of these tables, they'll, they'll let you in. They'll let you sit in without any problem. All right. Well, we will have the um, link to the North Texas website on the show, and hopefully we'll be seeing people there. And now we are going to take a break, and when we return, we'll be talking about X5 Temple of Death. Thopus the Gnome here. The Save or Die podcast is brought to you in part by a more than generous grant from me. <clears throat> Don't you mean a generous grant by Lesser Gnome Games? Same thing. I pretty much run the joint. And this one too now, come to think of it. Here. Go finish the commercial for me, Nave. You got it. Lesser Gnome Games and Miniatures. Available at RPGnow.com, LesserGnome.com, or at a friendly local game store near you. Top five with X5, Temple of Death. Five for five. Woo! <laughs> this is uh, one of the expert list of modules that were put out for the Cook Expert. And though it was put out in 1983, I don't know the exact month, and I get the impression that this was probably printed before the Mincer edit, re-edits of the Basic Expert set. Interesting. Because it, it, it has a different feel. Well, for one thing... I can, you, I can give you a little info on that, just from personal experience. I know that uh, X4 came out before the summer of 83, and I'm almost positive X5 came out later on that year. Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me when, we were, when I was looking it over was that it actually deals with gods and goddesses. Right. You've heard me grouse about, you know, with the Mentor rewrites... They got away from that and just dealt with more like philosophical truths or stuff rather than actual deities. And I understand why they did it. You know, it was the 80s. The satanic panic was going on, so on and so forth. What were we talking about in an old episode where we were speculating that the product was early enough that it was still based on basically uh, OD&D play experience that the writer brought to it? Like things they did in their campaign. I don't remember anymore. Maybe one of the bees? This kind of read like this. This, this had a lot of just like old 70s style meat and potatoes D&D in it. What do you think, Liz? Well, going through it, you know, yeah, it does seem to have some weird mishmash of things put together. Um, now, each one of those individually is pretty interesting all by itself. But it does seem kind of weird having it all, you know, just put in one place. So it does give that kind of vibe of some of those, you know, out there game sessions where, okay, well, over here you're doing this and now you've crossed this pass and now you're in a really bizarre little, you know, 
area that's nothing like any other place around it, but it's just managed to, you know, insert itself in the middle here. Um, Yeah, there's some... Go ahead. There's some interesting but kind of disparate parts that make up the whole. And since Bad Mike is a guest, you get to start with your number five. Uh, actually, well, why don't somebody else go first, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll just jump in. You didn't get a list, did you? I didn't well, he may list. not be aware. Of, <laughs> How'd you know? How'd you know you make a list? He may be familiar of, you know, did, how we're how we're doing. The well, thing. surely did, did he anyone I don't or die every month? All right, all right. I got okay, okay. I got. I mean, okay. did, number, any, <laughs> did did anyone five. did anyone do anything really out of spec like send Mike the show notes? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Come on now. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, Liz. Yeah, because I never send show notes to anyone, but now suddenly I'm supposed to send show notes. Wait a second, yeah, my show bad, notes? My Holy bad. crap. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll jump in. Okay, my, my five. My five, uh, I will say uh, Tim Truman Art. Oh, yes. The, uh, he did not do um, a lot of uh, TSR modules. I remember U2 uh, is the one that comes to mind that he did a lot of artwork in. Was it U2 or U3? I can't remember. Um, he, he did all the artwork for this. You know, ah. There's nobody else credited, and I, I went ahead and looked at it. And it looks like he did the cartography, too. Yeah, I was um, going to ask if you knew whether or not he did the maps as well as the artwork. I'm pretty sure because there's only two people, three people listed on this uh, module. Um, Dave Cook, the writer, editor, Michael Williams, and Art Truman. I'm pretty sure he did the cartography also. Which Zeb, is, which Zeb Cook back really, when, he, when he was just David Cook. Yes, Dave Cook, not Zebedee yet. Um, but it's just, it's really, I really like his style. It, it's a little, some people say it's a little too cartoony. Um, I don't necessarily find it cartoony. I think he does some really good stuff. And uh, especially uh, in this adventure, his uh, cover, which I thought was really good. And um, the he does like a little three-way kind of cutaway uh, drawing of the... Uh, um, of the Master's Castle or Temple, the Temple of Death actually uh, looks, looks really cool. And actually, you're supposed to show it to the players; they can kind of get an idea. And I think it's very evocative. So uh, that that was one thing that just really jumped out at me was the was the Tim Truman art on this one. Okay. Something we uh-huh. don't see very often on DD modules. Very use, very good use of uh, chiaroscuro rendering. Yeah, mm. yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> little little, we'll fe- little feathered pencil sh- shading. Ah, okay. Well. What's your number five, Jim? Uh, for number five, I'm going to go with all the way to the dungeon part of the module, which doesn't appear till about two-thirds of the way in because a lot of it is wilderness adventure, and go with the black altar, which the players just roll up onto as a black altar, but it's an evil magic user's magic jar. He's in that black altar, and he can zap you with all his spells. That's just awesome sauce right there. When he doesn't try taking over your body, of course. Yeah, that's an option, too. <laughs> All right. Well, my number five was I liked the very pulpy feel of the whole module. It it, it read very Fritz Liberian, I thought. Ah. Um, yeah. it, it very sword and sorcery, and maybe it was because some of the stuff was really a little wacky. Um, the one that sticks in my head was the quote-unquote, green dragon in the um, mountain passes. 
I thought that was I could definitely see that happening in a Lieber book or a Howard one. That was pretty cool. And uh, not to mention the Moonlight Ladder mm-hmm. that just out of nowhere leads to the Kingdom of the Moon. And there's nothing about the Kingdom of the Moon. Zeb Cook says, you know, if you want them to go up here, come up with a Kingdom of the Moon. <laughs> That's <laughs> Otherwise, right. just don't let them go up it. And that was cool. I like that. Okay, Liz? Well, um, talking about that, that was one of the ones that I had written down was the whole well of the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, just in, in particular, I really enjoyed that, um, not just because of the whole you know, thing you could possibly go up to the kingdom of the moon, but it had the ability to either heal or to harm. It could make land fertile. Or if you tried using it twice, it would make land barren and you would never be able to grow anything on it. Um, I saw parallels. I don't know if this had, was intentional or not, but the Well of the Moon reminded me very much of the Baba Yaga stories where she is the guardian of the fountain of the waters of life and death. Oh, nice connection, Liz. And I thought about that a lot when I was reading about, you know, the well of the moon and what the waters were able to do, bring people back to life, you know, harm them, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And so, yeah, I just thought that whole encounter and the water itself was just really, really well done and cool. Yeah, I hadn't caught that, but you're right. Hmm. That's pretty cool. All right. Well, number four. Back to you, Bad Mike. Well, one of the things I thought was really cool here is, um, and I think this is what you all were talking about earlier about this has a very old, old uh, adventure type feel, is that the number of monsters in this adventure. Um, I just was just flipping around here as we were talking, and I, because uh, I had noticed it earlier when re- rereading through it, and I was incredible. It might have every monster in the monster manual this somewhere. Not that you're going to fight them all, but they're all in there. There's Medusas, Displacer Beasts. Uh, dragons, cyclops. There's a storm giant, or is it storm cloud giant or storm giant? There's a there's a there's a there's a giant, storm giant. A hill giant and a storm giant. Uh, on and on and on. I, I even thought it was funny. One part he uh, they use centaurs, and they're actually they're not evil centaurs, but they will attack you because they're there to protect the master's lands. Um, so if you ever wanted to fight a centaur, but like oh they're good, I can't really fight centaurs. Well no no, there's centaurs you can fight in here. Uh, I I think that's really interesting. I, I, uh, modules were really only made that way um, for a while. It seems like as time went on, you had less of the kind of the monster hotel type of approach <laughs> yeah. dungeon making, where you know, like, okay, every room doesn't does not have to have a you know a different monster. You could actually have one whole level of just you know bugbears. Uh, like, this uh, is pretty much just a cross section of every, pretty much every page of the monster manual. You can flip it open, and that monster is going to be in here somewhere. So if you if you're party of adventures the ones that just likes to battle different monsters this is definitely a, a good adventure for them like tim cask used to call it the uh, killing the zoo because <laughs> you're like going from <laughs> cage to cage that's head of that field definitely yes oh okay. remember that nights of the dinner table where you know, ba was just going down the list of the monster manual alphabetically and they the players finally caught on it's like wait a minute 
I thought I always thought that was a kind of a stick at the world's largest dungeon that was published in the aughts. That you know, well, wait a minute, you're just going down the list. Uh, but anyway, okay, uh, Jim. Uh, my number four kind of touches back to what you the point I think you were getting at earlier, Mike, which I have reinterpreted as there's a very end, appendix end vibe to this. You're talking about Lieber and Howard and uh, and even Burroughs, because which is interesting for it to be published at 83 because that's right about the point where the game moved away from referring to the primary sources of the literature and became more self-referential. So uh, my number four is this thing is packed with bondage. And imprisonment. I mean, every time the players turn around, the Geonids, the Knolls at the tavern, uh, the Diviners yeah. are, are blackjacking the party, and you it, and it's the classic: you wake up in a cell without your spells, weapons, or armor. Slavealicious. There's a lot of that in this module, and that just that that's how in our original campaign that happened to us constantly. But I'll bet there were no pictures <laughs> in the module. I mean, no no art. Am I right on that? Am I wrong? Pick bondage pictures. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It's it's very. Yeah, there, there's no you know B three going on here. This is yeah. This is uh still early for them to be getting in trouble that way. Okay. Uh, I didn't mean that kind of bondage. Get your mind out of the gutter, Mike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, neither neither was B three, but you know that was where the big upset was. I mean, the magic users in the party that go through this, if they haven't already, they should be tattooing first-level spells on their inner arms by the time you've been <laughs> shoved in a prison three times in one adventure. Burning hands from the armpit. Ah. Anyway, well, my number four is it's got some weird DM rulings and such in here. Um, like there's the thing in the caves that obviously oxygen is a major issue. So that whenever somebody throws a fire spell, Jim. Oh, you're stealing my number three, it burns, man. It burns out the oxygen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Fireball away. You won't be breathing much after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's that, but it doesn't actually give any rules on what you do when your oxygen is out. It just talks about, you know, uh, making you woozy or something. It doesn't really go into detail. Save or die. but this extends on that there's a lot of DM nudging with the profit and you know at one point you can find the secret plans to win the war and if you can get that back then they defeat the enemy you know that just seems rather help us Obi-Wan Kenobi you're our only hope hope. yes (laughs) yes very and, and I don't know that I was really up for that personally, but anyway. All right, you're four, Liz. Okay, I guess I will say for my number four, it's been a long time since I've done this. <laughs> Parallels to Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. Tonight's obligatory Doctor Who reference is brought to you by DM Liz. That's right. <laughs> I kept thinking of the Doctor Who episode Legopolis, the in, you know just reading through this because mm. first you have the villain, the master. <laughs> There's an unknown benefactor, and the PCs are never able to get a good look at, like the Watcher. 
who appeared throughout the episode at a distance, always oh. far in the background. You are right. And it's like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept thinking about Doctor Who the whole time I was reading this module. And uh, again, I don't know if this was on purpose or not. It's roughly in about the right time period, you know, 83 or so. I huh? have to look up when, you know, Baker left and, you know, the fifth doctor came in. 82, um, so right before this. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, ah. <laughs> we didn't ask Zeb at the con. <laughs> I don't know if he would admit it or not. Because authors love Hollywood. those questions. Hey, did you steal this from over there? <laughs> no, no, it's an homage. It's just like, before you answer, it. I just want to say that if the answer is yes, I think that is incredibly cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I kept thinking about Doctor Who, Legopolis, the whole time I was reading through this. Like, master, unknown benefactor. It's like, hmm. You know... <laughs> So, yeah, here we go. <laughs> That's we, my number four. we we got to make this happen. So, Mike, <laughs> get on it. Zeb needs to be at North Texas Con. <laughs> yeah. Or is he one of oh, the few Zeb, people well, that... Zeb, Zeb, Zeb is at North Texas Con. Okay, then we're going to okay, arrange this meeting. Say. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll I'll have probably say, I don't even too. remember that. <laughs> we'll have uh, digital recorders, too, because that's another thing authors love. Oh, sure. So yeah. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. All right, Bad Mike, number three. Uh, my number three is uh, it's something um, Liz touched on earlier that I thought was kind of interesting. I haven't I haven't reread the module in quite a long time, and I reread through it, and the the encounter with the red dragon I thought was really interesting because um, Liz mentioned the the treasure of the dragon, the what the dragon is guarding is something called the well of the moon. The dragon has no other treasure. That's it, which I think is kind of interesting. You know, there's not this big giant pile of uh, of gems and gold and magic items that you'd expect to kill a red dragon. So you kill a red dragon, all you get is basically guarding this thing called the Well of the Moon. And I was just looking over the, the effects it has, and as Liz said, it's really interesting. It's just got some really oddball, kind of quirky things that, you know, it's, it's the kind of things that dungeon modules used to have in the early days before everything got codified. No, you can't do that or whatever. Yeah, there's uh, always the room of the pools. Well, yeah, that's why I love you know, B1 so much, because it just it's kind of just throws all that kind of stuff in there. Well, this has, there's different things you can do with the water out of here. As Liz said, it can it can cure you. Um, any gem dumped, uh, dipped in the water doubles in value half the time, but halves in value half the time, which is, you know, the kind of things you used to find those early modules. It's either going to screw you up or it's going to help you. You know, one or the other, equal chance. Uh, brings back dead characters to life, which is a good plot device. If somebody dies in the adventure, you can always bring them back to the well and just... Uh, Bring it back to life. Uh, as Liz said, it creates the, um, or Liz or Mike says, it creates the ladder of moonbeams, which goes to the moon. It says you have to create this king of the moon if you want to go there, which I think is kind of a cool little aside. But the, the last effect I thought was funny is that a flask of water is poured in the ground, plants grow from there, and basically starts. it covers a half-mile radius circle. And then if you pour the water on someplace that already has grass on there, it kills it. So it just seems like an, there's really no point in that. It's just it's just a, just a weird, bizarre, oddball effect, you know. I mean, okay, I'm going to pour this on the ground. Oh, look, it grows. Uh, you know, what what does it do? It doesn't help us. Doesn't doesn't help anything. It just grows. And so that's the kind of thing I love to see in adventures. Is stuff that may lead to another adventure because hey, you know, let's take some of this this water and walk over to the barren wastelands and drop you know drop a couple of gallons on there and see what happens. And, mm-hmm. Or let's take it to the to the king's garden and throw it on there and kill all its flowers. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I call those slot machine scenarios because yeah. with a certain type of player, they will not give up. They will just keep dipping in the pool till they die. Mead. I, I gotta find out what happens. Okay, now what happens? Now what happens? You know, <laughs> you know, All right. Yeah, taking every card from the deck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She claims she had no idea that when she said, you know, 12, that she was going to get 12 cards. I think she knew very well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jim? Okay. Uh, you alluded to this, but uh, specifically my number three is sometimes on the show we talk about or there are questions about when is it a good idea for the DM to make roles for the players. This module has specific instructions in some situations where the DM is behind the screen rolling saves for events that the player wouldn't or the player character wouldn't know what's going on, like the uh, spores in the fungi forest, which will infect you and cause problems, or uh, in the tavern inn encounter where they've basically decided to poison your drinks and bushwhack you. And I like that. I I, I, I both liked the the scenario effects of it and then where the module just calls out these are things the dm does behind the screen and then you just start telling the players you know hey <laughs> the tavern in you wake up in a cell because <laughs> you got drugged <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's one thing about doing saves when you have the players roll them that takes a lot away from the role-playing aspect of the game you know if you tell a player you need to make a save versus poison you know, they immediately know that something is happening to them. Even if they're able to role play effectively and act surprised, you know, it's, it's still, still going to be subconscious. Yeah, it still colors what they do and say. But if they are completely unaware that something has happened and the DM starts giving them information, you know, say with the whole spore castle, you know, they're not aware that they failed to save and now they're hallucinating. They don't know they're hallucinating, so they're taking what the DM is telling them totally at face value. And that gives a lot more into, into the game, I think, than, you know, if you know, well, I know I failed my save. You know, even if the DM doesn't tell you, I'm giving you false information now because of it, you know, you're still wondering what's going on. Yeah, Zeb, if you're listening, writing-wise, that little thing was mwah. <laughs> All right, well, this kind of plays off since you mentioned the Spore Palace and everything, but my number three is, and maybe it's just me, but it seems, I, I get the feeling that this may have been written for AD&D and reskinned. You always say that. I do, <laughs> I do. But this, but you know, there's stuff he like He really means it. There's stuff here that wasn't really in Basic Expert, like Yellow Mold. Yellow mold zombies. Hmm. Uh, there's the boulder people, which seem a lot like the Petch, Petch out of Fiendfolio. And, you know, then there's the fungal guys, which reminds me a bit of the myconoids. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. And that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It just struck me as something interesting. I think, I you're, I think you're right, because mm -hmm. I, I just saw it a different way where I thought, what? Well, this is the kind of adventure he probably ran, you know, for his campaign somewhere and, and took the pieces of it to write this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's my third. Liz? <laughs> okay. For number three, I'm going to say, and this kind of gets back to the, the fungal castle thing again, um, the new monster, the Dusanu. 
and I can't believe I'm saying that I think a variant of Undead is pretty cool because that's usually Mike's bag. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it looks like a mold-encrusted skeleton dressed in a tattered cloak, and you know it's got spores in the air all around it. If you fail to save, you know you become infected. And the really cunning part about this is you don't show any signs of infection for a few days after it's happened. Take that, you know, mummy rot. Yeah, <laughs> and then suddenly, you know, like maybe a week later, you know, you've got mold coming out of your skin. You know, it's like, ah! <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, and if you're not able to get a, a cure and everything, you know, you die and then... You become a Dasanu, and <laughs> and odds are, but that first starts to hit you in the timeline of the adventure. You're probably just now into the realm, on the other side of the mountains. Yeah, when Although that starts it is hitting interesting. you. Interesting, you know. Even though you're not showing signs of infection, something that might clue you in that something's going on is that any cure wounds spell cast on the player have no effect. During that time when the, you know, stuff is just kind of percolating and you haven't shown any outward signs, you know, for some reason, during that two to four day period, cure wound spells don't affect you. So that would be something that would possibly cause you to wonder, what's going on with me? You know, it might not tell you what's going on, but it would be a clue that something's happening to you. But, yeah, I thought... That whole monster idea was just very cunning. <laughs> I don't want to run into it as a player, but it's very cunning. <laughs> Good Tim Truman art on that, too. Okay, Mike, number two? Um, my number two is, I, I was really uh, impressed by Dave Cook's uh, Part 3 Huel, where he talks about the land of Huel. Because he only spends a page on it. Um, page and maybe a quarter, just telling you here's here's where the players are going to go. Uh, they cross the great path. They have to enter the land of Huel, and then you have to end up getting back that past that to find the temple of death. Um, in in really just a page, he pretty much does a really good description of a of what you would consider an evil civilization. In that, you know, here's who runs the place. Here, here's their their society. Uh, the top of the holy men, the bottom of the commoners. Here's all the people in between. Here's what they do. Here's what their purposes. Uh, here's the people. You know, the commoners really they're not really evil, but they just don't want to make waves, so they just kind of you know, you know, it's not like you can go into this country just kill everybody inside because they're evil. They're evil. Kill them. <laughs> you know, these are just regular people that just happen to be ruled by religious maniacs, and they're, they don't want to make ways, so they just kind of agree to, yeah, okay, you know, whatever, as long as nobody messes up with my farm, you know, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And I, did, I just thought he did a really good job in just a page and a half. I mean, there's a few TSR writers that, that could do stuff like this. I think Ed Greenwood's one, I think uh, Guy, Guy Gax was another, that didn't need eight pages to describe a, a something, or a civilization, or a, or a town, or something. Just or 80 years. pages. Thank you yeah, for yeah. saying all that, because this, this was my objection. In that page and a half in this adventure, that's the same amount of information that was eight or ten pages of uh, the Emirates of Ear Alarm. Right, well, exactly. Yeah, I wasn't going to mm. throw the gazetteers under the bus again. Since y'all <laughs> 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 that's that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I just thought he did a great job with that. I, I, like I said, Ed Greenwood can do that. If you ever read some of his descriptive stuff, I mean, he could say more in 
half a paragraph than some guys can say in a whole supplement. And, and of course, Gary could do that too. I mean, some of his, you know, his early modules are short, but gosh, they're just so descriptive. And, and uh, uh, Zeb did that here too. I thought he did a great job of describing the whole. I mean, just based on this, you could run the, you could run this whole land and, and run off within your own ideas. But you know, he also has a really good framework in place here. Okay, Jim. I'm going to call out for my number two favorite thing about this uh, specific encounter, the Valley of the Rock encounter, which uh, this dovetails to what Mike was just sharing. It's a wonderfully written encounter full of a mystery that's set up for the players that they have to try and solve while something else is going on as a B-plot, the negotiating with the, uh, I think, was it Gnomes? That are, that are there. While this mystery is happening, the gnome's behavior is very suspicious and reflects the mystery, and then the players finally start, you know, the first clue the players get to what actually is the deal is a mammoth falls out of the sky and possibly crushes one of them to death. <laughs> <laughs> then, then you segue to, okay, well, let's go kill the rock. Let's go kill the monster, which, you know, characters the level for this uh, adventure are unlikely to kill a rock, and the solution isn't to kill the rock, necessarily. I just beautifully written encounter. And I'm in okay. love with the idea that, you know, you're you're trying to figure out what's going on and a mammoth falls out of the sky on you. I know, very, that's awesome. <laughs> very Monty Pythonian. Okay. Well, my two is probably should have went into this more at the beginning, but of course X five is the second part of Master of the Desert Nomads that starts in X four. So the whole goal is to stop the master who's behind the war against the good lands oh, yeah. et cetera, master et cetera. dresses all in black just like in doctor who <laughs> Cam done. does he does he still have a beard in this generation well he's married <laughs> okay sorry mike um, said okay that. well anyway the two i'm going to say this is something i like um i like when they travel through the whole forest there are no set piece encounters it's the forest. Here are encounters. As a DM, you decide where they are in, in proximity to when the characters are moving through the woods. I like that. Normally, I don't like that, you know, especially I, I like sandboxy. But a lot of those encounters are really cool. And I like the idea of the DM having the ability to put them where they're needed. Yeah, I remember... You know, reading that myself, you know, you know, describing them and placing adventures in them as you wish, you know, putting encounters as you wish. Because, yeah, if you're just left with, you know, well, I'm rolling for, can for random encounters and for some reason my dice keep saying there's no encounter, that can really, it can straightjacket you a lot if you're just relying totally on the random rolls. And if you have a bad day of rolling and nothing at all is happening to your players and they start to get bored and it's like, yeah, we're walking, we're walking, we're looking. <laughs> and right. right on, because we're always talking about the value of encouraging player agency, but I love things written like this that encourage DM agency and help sure. teach the young DM how to go about his job, his or yeah. her job. And I think so many people just automatically equate DM agency as trying to make things, you know, bad for the players. And 
that's not how it has to be. Sometimes you do stuff as a DM to make something happen when the die roll would say that it's not, but you're doing it because you're wanting it to be a more interesting day of gaming for your guys instead of a day of sitting around the table and walking through the forest and nothing's happening. So, well, I got to make something happen for them because they're obviously starting to check their phones and they're getting bored over here. You know, so, you know, sometimes DM agency means you're deliberately making choices to make things, you know, more effective for your players. Reminds me of the TV show Freaks and Geeks when at one point one of the guys is saying, you know, yeah, um, he thinks he's the DM, so that gives him, you know, that because he's the DM, he can always mess with us. And the DM replies going, I'm sorry, perhaps I should arrange you to run into kittens and grandmas so as not to upset you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Liz, you're too. Okay. Um, I was going to talk about the Land of Huel also. Um, I thought it was just great. I loved the idea of the thought police. <laughs> and, yeah, the diviners. And, yeah. yeah, and that's why nobody wants to make waves. You know, everyone's just, you know, because they're going to, if you do anything that steps out of line, they have the ability to just, you know, for whatever reason, just proclaim you're thinking wrongly. So we're going to take you away. It's, it's a magic-powered Gestapo. Nobody is. expects the Spanish diviners. <laughs> That's right. And um, it's it's just really well done. Like Bad Mike said, you get a framework that lets you know what the overall you know, flavor of this land is. But you get to put in your own, you know little details and i i know most of us you know tend to enjoy that more than just a huge supplement that plots it all out to the nth degree and you may be reading over it and said well i don't really care for that and yeah you have the ability to change it yourself but when it is so planned out and if you change one thing on say page 23 you may find yourself having it conflict with something else later on in the supplement on page 86. And, you know, changing little bits here on the surface, it sounds like, oh, that's real easy. But if the person who wrote the supplement goes into so much detail and so many things are intertwined with one another, changing one single thing can find, you can find yourself having to change a whole bunch of things that radiates out from that first choice you made. So, on the whole, I really like where you get to put in all the details yourself. Guidance that's my two, rather than... Yeah, uh, so that's my two cents. Okay. There you go. Bad Mike, number one. Um, well, number one uh, is, um, I guess he's the first supervillain in ADD modules is the master, because I, <laughs> I, I had not reread his stats in years, and I reread him, and I just was laughing, because I don't know how you killed this dude. He's basically <laughs> Doctor Doom. So if you if you have a party of adventurers that they really don't feel like they've ever had a challenge, I think this guy could pretty much wipe the floor with most you know ninth tenth level parties. Um, he's 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 pretty much maxed out stats: eighteen wisdom, constitution, charisma. Uh, he's just loaded down with magic items. Uh, he's a fourteenth level cleric. 
he's got a couple of tigers as buddies. I mean, he, on and on and on, all these other stuff, which I thought was just like, okay, well, you know, obviously, the, if, they, if they kill this guy, I mean, it's going to be tough to even kill this guy. He, he'd be a great recurring villain because, I mean, it's almost impossible to kill him. Well, then I kept reading on. I was like, oh, wait a second. You can't kill the guy. That's because right. If you kill him, <laughs> because if you kill him, he doesn't really die. That's just, it turns out you're fighting his avatar all this time. Um, his body's a really doom hidden. Bot. His body's hidden someplace else. It's like it's kind of like a magic jar thing. He has a basically an avatar. He's actually this priest. And he's hidden in some place that you'll you probably will never find him. And so when you kill him, his his mind just pops back in there. And and the line is from here, he begins to seek revenge on the players. He shall so return. Recurring baddie for the next to you know wreak, in the campaign. Return to uh, wreak his rowengi in a new body. Just yeah. like Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Indeed. So I thought I loved that part. I just, I, it's a little ridiculous. I think in some ways, I, 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 I don't like it when, when it's like, okay, you're really not going to beat this guy, no matter what you do. I mean, I guess you could. Um, when my, the party I ran through, they had a really unique way of defeating him, which, which was just really bizarre. It was, it's just a really bizarre story. But basically. He has an item called the House of Zebulon, which um, it's, 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 it's a magic item where he creates this uh, um, house. It's basically a doorway, and you jump in it, and then it turns this little cube. And so you can basically, it's this giant uh, castle in, in the shape of a cube. And so when I ran the adventure, they went to this really horrible combat with him, and he's just, you know, just back and forth, just kicking butt on the party, and, and they're beating him up. And so he runs another room and says if he goes into another room, the best thing to do is for him to pop into his little cube of Zebulon, and if the party finds it and puts it in their pocket, uh, he can pop out a week later, you know, and just beat the crap out of him. He'll be all cured up. I'm like, oh, that's really a great idea. So he, uh-huh. did, so, he, so he does that, and so they, they go in the room, and, and uh, one of the thieves in the party sees the cube on the floor and takes it and puts it in his bag of holding. <laughs> <laughs> And so, so I was, does it okay. pop out of the bag? And so I'm like, okay. And so I'm like, okay, you know what? I don't want to ruin the whole camp. But let's just, okay, well, we'll just we'll just say that for some reason the house of Sabagon doesn't explode the whole universe here. Because, yeah, I was about to say, like, that should have went boom, boom. Yeah, I, I, but I thought, you know, that's just kind of anticlimactic. So we'll just, we'll, we'll roll with that. So <laughs> so, so they go on. Well, well one of the other um, baddies you fight in this module is a high-level mage. He's, he's, he's a whole story itself. He's Magic Jar, the guy. He throws spells. One of the spells he has is stone, is flesh to stone. So um, as, it would, as it would have it, during the combat, he hits the thief with flesh to stone, and he fails to save. So I never really figured out what happened to the, to the master, because he's in a, a bag of heat holding and turned to a statue, and then during that combat, the statue gets broken to pieces, because they're throwing lightning bolts and fireballs and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff around this chamber trying to kill his mage. That should be pretty dead. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm yeah, thinking. I guess so. I mean, but they never found out. I, I never. They said, "Well, where did the master go?" I, I don't know. He, you just can't find him. So they got mad because, the, the little knowing, they destroyed him because he was in the <laughs> in the house of Zebulon, in the bag of holding, turned to stone and broken to pieces. So there's always a chance. I guess he could come back. He's kind of one of those super villains that falls off the cliff that you don't really ever find the body. But um, yep. I always thought. So yeah, that was that was their way. They did, so they actually never really really defeated him, but he, he was taken out by really, really weird game playing. That's awesome. Alright, Jim? My number one, what's the name of our show? Save or Die. 
I love that this adventure was full of good old-fashioned save-or-die type mechanics. Those fungi, those fungi on the cave wall, you turn a corner, there's a Medusa, you get petrified. The mammoth falling out of the sky, you're just randomly selected to be the target. Bang, you're dead. I mean, who has the hit points to survive that? The uh, Darkwood water supply, that uh, that's not save or die, it's save or transform into a boar or a deer and run off out of the adventure. But it's, it's the same mechanic, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a bunch of that trap, in here. It's or just, the trap in the um, temple that turns into a giant rat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I just makes my old school fuzzy little heart warm. <laughs> so that was my number one thing I liked about X Five. Well, my favorite number one, and this goes off a bit what Bad Mike was saying is, this feels like a it it's a fantasy 007 movie from the seventies. You know, the Roger Moore. <laughs> Moonraker type stuff. I mean, not only is he hard to get rid of, he's got a dis- an airship for escaping, and you know the the temple has like the whispering room where you can hear everybody having conversations about the whole thing, and just and yet he has lovely, beautiful gardens outside, well trimmed. <laughs> you know, as you do. Yeah, and. And, you know, they're very well gardened, except that there are owl bears that wander around and eat people. <laughs> so he must go through gardens a lot. Gardeners, but, you know, hey. Maybe the owl bears are the gardeners. <laughs> well, no, no, they, well, they would be know. They would be a source of fertilizer. Yeah, yeah they kill yeah. people, eat them, and anything that's left over, you know, bury them. Nutrients miracle, for the soil. Miracle grow. That's right. <laughs> Indy style. So, yeah, I really like the temple, though I will admit when I first read it, started to read it, and it was shaped like the the guy and the chariot, a massive chariot and everything, my first thought was Temple of the Frog, but it didn't end up that way, and that was cool. So, up to you, Liz. Okay, my number one, and this is kind of along the lines of, you know, Jim's you know, Valley of the Rock with the mammoth falling out of the sky out of nowhere. I loved the Dragon of Woe encounter. <laughs> it's a fake dragon. <laughs> and you've got this group of fighters and a magic user all working cranks and wheels and stuff inside. And it's moving. <laughs> and uh-huh. like, it's like, this is awesome! <laughs> That is, I, when I read that, that was the first thing I hit that really made me think, labor. It's like, wow. <laughs> I could see Fofford and the Grey Mauser running into this. This is awesome. It's like, that, dra- that the fake dragon and the group of people inside working it. It's like, I, I love this. I just love it. And the best part is, when the players find out about that, and then they run into the red dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is obviously another, another fake. fake. Like, no. <laughs> but yeah, personally, the whole fake dragon encounter, that alone, to me, is worth getting this adventure. Just for that. Everything else after that, pure gravy. <laughs> it is pretty sweet. <laughs> you can just hear the players. All right, a dragon. Now we're talking. <laughs> what do you mean no treasure 
And then, then they hit it with spells, it falls apart, and then it says all the fighters run away. So it's like a Keystone Cops thing. And what the <laughs> hell? Or <laughs> Monty Python. It is like, <laughs> run away! I just see them running in circles, and they're just taking off, and the players are scratching their heads. And going, what the? Like, what, what the heck? <laughs> There's some you don't see every day. Well chosen, Liz. All righty. Well, any last comments on the module before we grade it in products of your imagination? I have one. And it's not so much against this module alone. It's something I've noticed that's fairly consistent in lots of high, mid- to high-level adventures. Does this have anything to do with skills or weapon proficiencies? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, not re- Sort of. <laughs> Class-based. Is it just me, or does it feel like when your characters are first to third level and they run into, say, a thief who's picking their pocket or trying to mug them or something, they're first to third level. And then when they're ninth or tenth level, they happen, when they get mugged in that very same alley, they're now getting mugged by a ninth level thief. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it's it's like, well, it's not the first or third level thief anymore because, well, that's, you know, you think that's not a challenge. And it's not. But at the same time, you're thinking, what's the probability? And I noticed that a little bit in the town in this module, you know. You're not getting attacked by first or second levels anymore. You know, now you're just happen to be attacked by sixth or seventh levels. I don't know. Is that just me? No, I think there there is a little escalation here. Definitely, I don't think that's I think that's endemic of uh, of the X series as a whole, though. If you look at some of the other X series modules, mm-hmm. uh, they, I think that they also do that. This is like pointing out when the Flash's powers work and don't work in the TV show, because really, if you have the Flash's <laughs> powers, nobody should ever be able to hit him or run around a corner and lose him, right? Right. But for there to be drama in the story, that has to happen. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, so, would you say that maybe the X modules, as early as these, you know, these may have been the beginnings of what would become, you know, what gamers like to sneer at now as challenge levels? Could be. I think well, it was I'll a much... One, well, one thing that goes into Mike's theory is, I, I tell you, like, look at the magic items, it's ridiculous in this module. I mean, every Larry, you know, Mo. Curly and Larry has a plate one, plate armor plus one, and a plus one sword, which is I think that that kind of feeds into that. Yeah, and yeah. I, I you don't you don't have to have everybody of roughly equal level. You know, it's like our discussing of the kobolds. You know, they set traps, have you know maybe fungus bombs or something. You know, to if you want to keep a challenge rather than. Well, for no no apparent reason, all these kobolds are eight hit die. What? It seems to me that you could get away f- without having to do that very often. I can only worship at the shrine to your hard assness, sir, because in this wonderfully <laughs> written and produced product, you have found the one legitimate flaw that's in it. <laughs> and I can't even say it's this module because I would say, like Mike said, you know, it's in the X series, and I would say it's in several of the AD&D modules, too. You know, I can't even just say that it's this, but it just kind of, I guess it struck me as I was reading this one for some reason. But okay, let's talk dragons. And now we'll head into products of your imagination. 
Dungeons and Dragons. Power is won by finding new ways to battle. I can feel the darkness inside me. And being completely dragon-flapping awesome. Uh, set comes with Spellbook, Ritual Rites, Playboard, Sacrificial Dagger, and Dice, Dice, Dice! TSR Hobbies, Dungeons and Dragons game, products of your imagination. It's time for dragons. Woohoo! Woohoo! Our grade and our opinions in numerics. And we'll start with Liz. <laughs> well, I'm going to give this module four dragons of woe. Woohoo! <laughs> Not just well. dragons, but artificial dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Between that, the the land of Huel, the well of the moon. There, there's so many fantastic things in this module that even if you don't want to run the adventure itself, there's so much you could just mine from it and stick into your own adventures. Oh yeah, especially and, from the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, even if you decide to read through this and you you decide. I don't care for this storyline. There's so much stuff you can take from it that I think is just super cool and import anywhere you want in whatever you're doing yourself. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm giving it four. I think it's great. And no, as anyone who knows me, the whole Doctor Who parallels that I was going <laughs> on about, that's a plus for me. I love that. <laughs> I hope that's what he was really doing on purpose. I mean, it's kind of cool, even if it wasn't on purpose, but, you know, so there, there's very little I didn't like about this at all. Okay. Jim? I'm going to go with uh, 4.5 Trojan Dragons. Ooh, the point five are the fighters inside. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I will uh, take this moment to uh, let listeners know that if you want to get this for yourself, it's available on DriveThruRPG as a watermarked PDF for four ninety nine. You can find them all over eBay between 8 and $15. And probably if you come to North Texas and ask Bad Mike, he's got it for sale, use the coupon code SAVEORDIE and he'll give you 5 bucks off that. Right, Mike? Nice. Yeah, thanks, Jim. <laughs> thanks for marketing. But if it's four ninety nine, what you know? I'll give you a copy of the module, and here's a penny. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Mark Street value for this is depending on condition, probably between ten and twenty bucks. Oh yeah, that's true. All right, um, bad Mike. Uh, I w- I'll give it four real and fake dragons. I'm going to mix them together there. Um, I, one of the things I like about this is, uh, for instance, when we I ran actually ran up the summer of eighty four. And I just took the Temple of Doom and stuck that in a pre-existing adventure. So it's it's very versatile. Uh, most of the encounters that everybody's talked about can be placed in any adventure. They don't have to be in this adventure. They they fit in well as just kind of little side quests or little um, uh, adventure side adventures. And I I thought I like it for that aspect. Is that it's just a really cool. The temple's cool, so if you need a, if you need an evil temple, it's a really a great evil temple to just uh, put into your adventure. Mm-hmm. Which is a side point. I forgot to mention that in the review, but I like how the Temple of Death is what the players know it as, but nobody in the realm refers to it as that. 
So the moment they say, we're looking for the Temple of Death, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with four myself. I think it has some really good stuff in it. Um, I'm not sure I would run it as is. Um, the, The linearness of it just seems like a unfortunate use of a lot of these encounters. I think you could have more fun just making it a long-term campaign. But again, you know, Zeb Cook had to get this done in 36 pages, so, you know, he couldn't go into a whole lot of detail on things. And I like the evil, evil, big bad evil guy. And like Liz said, the encounters are really good. And I like the town encounters, too. If you had to deal with, it's so hard to find a town full of quote-unquote evil people. Because normally it's it doesn't really feel like a town. It feels like a dungeon above ground, really. This this has more of a town feel to it that just happens. You may see bugbears walking down the street or something. I think that's 4.15, something like Four dragons and some chains. I, I could lower mine to four and make it unanimous. <laughs> yeah. Well, four dragons and some change. We'll go with that. And that means we're headed down the dr- dusty road once again. Out of the mountains and into the evil kingdom, I guess. <laughs> and how are we heading down the road? Jim. Well, I was going to head down the road on my way to North Texas Con, but I screwed around with that black altar and got magic jarred by Galus the magic oh, user. No. So he'll be showing up at North Texas, Mike. <laughs> oh, great. A psychotic Maybe fireball he'll... throwing character. Oh, wait, that is Jim. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all work out in the end. <laughs> and you, Liz? Well, I'm heading down the road inside of a Trojan dragon. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! With a group of friends and hoping and that nobody will f- discover that this dragon is not actually real. Clank, clank. <laughs> and you, Bad Mike? I'm going to uh, go down the road in the House of Zebulon and just hope against hope somebody doesn't put it in their, their magical bag of holding and, and then I just die in my sleep, I guess, and find out what <laughs> yeah. happens. It's bounced on top of the dragon of woe that Liz is using. <laughs> I, I promise not to throw uh, flesh to stone on it. Oh, thank you. Cool. Whereas I am running down the road in a extreme zigzag pattern, avoiding falling mastodons. <laughs> 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 and that'll wrap up episode 107. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming oh, on. Thanks for coming on. See ya! Good night. Bye-bye. Free arc. And we're out. The Saber Dive Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Saber Dive theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. Payola for Plugola and all derivative terms, works, and art are copyright 2015 Bad Mike Productions and used with permission in this episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. (laughs) 
a whiskey bottle. Yeah, no shot glasses for Mike. He's <laughs> straight from the bottle. I've got, a, cu- I've got a cup of coffee and a Mountain Dew and just chugged an energy drink. I think we're ruined in opposite directions, Mike. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a dreadful drunk. You know, it just takes, she is. It takes one glass of just about anything. And I'm asleep in the corner drooling on myself. No buzz, no drunk, just drink asleep. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd offer to buy you a drink to see that in North Texas, but then you might fall down and hurt yourself. <laughs> and you, you don't want to be the one doing that. That's right. And I'm not the no. one to lead a, her back to the room, if you know what I mean. So. <laughs> I lay them low, 